Why won't the White House initiate some conversations over the debt limit? Well, first of all, let's be clear that this president, who has a, a very strong record on deficit reduction, $1.7 trillion, historic deficit reduction uh, over his uh, term so far, uh, has shown consistent willingness and ability to negotiate with the other side when it's on behalf of the American people. Uh, this isn't that. Uh, this is uh, an action that Republicans took three times under President Trump. Kevin McCarthy signed an increase uh, without any negotiation any conditions three times under President Trump. So, so if no they want to talk about fiscal responsibility, bring it on. If they want to uh, hold uh, uh, the economy hostage and threaten default, uh, uh, threaten a default to force cuts in Social Security and Medicare, nope, uh, he, he's not there for that. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 32 of The Middle Unplugged. A break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. So with a show called The Middle, you might think that a day like today when the Democratic president and the Republican speaker of the House come to an agreement on how to not blow up the United States economy, you'd think that'd be a pretty good time to celebrate. Even in these pitched partisan times, a negotiation can bridge the divide and the American people are pulled back from the brink of the abyss. You see, if we just push away from the fringes of our party and search for that middle part of our national Venn diagram, good things can happen. Imperfect, but good. No one is completely happy, but hey, that's what compromise looks like. But is it? Is that where we should be today? How is this even a negotiation? I mean, what were the two sides? There is something that everyone involved are constitutionally required to do, and that is to pay our bills. Something that if we don't do would cost every American a great deal. So what is this negotiation thing about which you speak? Well, in this case, it was one side saying, okay, we will do this constitutionally mandated thing. On the other side was the Republicans saying, give us stuff, bribe us to do this thing. So in this negotiation, Biden had to essentially bribe the Republicans to do a simple binary yes or no thing. And what does Biden get? What do Democrats get? Well, I suppose they, we, disarm the terrorists, the nihilists, the Republicans who apparently came to D.C. with explosives strapped to their chest. But before I complain about what's in the deal, let's recall one other thing. The Democrats, these same Democrats, had a lame duck session in which they conspired with Senate Republicans to pass a budget before the new Republican majority came to town. They did that because they simply didn't trust that McCarthy and his new majority could muster the votes to do anything, anything affirmative like pass a budget or, for that matter, to raise the debt limit. That was the moment not only to raise the limit, but to end this charade. And the illusion that this is a discretionary action. Back then in December, when they were trying to buckle things up before the new crazies came to town, this is when they should remove the they should have removed the debt limit as a thing that gets voted on at all and make it something that automatically goes up as a matter of law. The Democrats had the votes, they had the House, they had the White House, and uh, they should have done this in December. If not that, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, then the president should have simply declared that the debt shall be paid pursuant to the 14th Amendment of our United States Constitution, but done it back in January when he took office, not at the last minute after the outlines of this fight had already been drawn to his disadvantage, frankly. To refresh you about that, in case you've already forgotten episode 28, which was, I guess, five weeks ago, 
Clause 4 of the 14th Amendment states that, quote, the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned, close quote. Heck, you can't even question it. As I explained, someone could sue to stop this, but then what happens? Then isn't the debate about how much the Democrats are going to pay the Republicans to raise the limit like it is today. It becomes one about the president says we should pay our bills and you're suing him to stop him from doing it? And then instead you've got to go back to Congress and make a deal or something? I think the public opinion, not in the courts, would have been on the president's side. But more importantly, it would have been done plenty of time that if the court said no to that, then you're back to the same spot we're in today. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. By the time Biden started talking about the 14th Amendment and about that option of just invoking it, it was well down the road of this so-called negotiation, a negotiation that the president himself said he wasn't going to engage in. Now, was I smart enough to think of this back in January? No. But he's the Damn president, and he has all these thinkers and planners. They should have seen this coming a mile away. But hey, even stupid and misguided negotiations can still be constructive if they help forge a reasonable middle in a Congress that seems not to have one. If you squint really hard, you can try to see this as a choice between the debt ceiling being lifted and a whole list of these Republican demands from not funding veterans' health care, to eliminating the Inflation Reduction Act. What else would they do? They would cut FAA air traffic controllers. So if you want to compare this outcome to the worst proposals out there and say the country and Biden won the day, you can do that. But I don't, because I looked at what's actually in this new law they want to pass. Well, for one thing, we agree to return and do this again in January of 2025. I mean, the limit wasn't actually raised. It was kind of suspended it. Uh, the language reads like it will pay our bills until 2025. And at that point, you got to come back and ask us again. In a way, it's a rhetorical win for the Republicans who want the fig leaf of saying, well, we didn't vote for X trillion dollars. We just kicked the can down the road a little bit. On the other hand, it maybe does give Biden a vehicle to test the 14th Amendment thing. You can see him saying, well, what's the difference between January 2025 and February 2025? You can't make that distinction in the law because it's not in the Constitution. But let's face it, the Republicans got some of the cuts that they wanted. It looks like they limited programs like the FBI and NIH research, and the national parks, all the stuff that's in the bucket of what's called non-defense discretionary, which is basically what you have left over when you back out Medicare and Medicaid um, and Social Security, interest on the debt and the military. Oh, and about that military thing, that won't be cut at all under this program. They couldn't find a single dime over there, despite, I don't know if you saw this, a recent 60-minute expose about how defense contractors have basically brought back the days of the $800 toilet seat. They've done this by consolidating so the federal government doesn't have as many places to buy things from. And also, believe it or not, by laying off all these auditors and account and, and uh, purchasing officers at the Pentagon in interest of saving money, believe it or not. Anyway, there's no cuts to the, to the military. And these cuts are only for this year and next, not the next 10 years like the Republicans wanted, but they're not nothing. The, the agreement rescinds part of the increase that the IRS was getting to help taxpayers and to catch tax cheats. It's a big priority of the Republicans nowadays. And, and, and by the way, the Inflation Reduction Act, it added $80 billion for the IRS, and this deal cuts $20 billion of it and moves it to other programs. Remember, that money that was going to the IRS was to basically bring them into the 21st century, help them come up with a, a, with a helpline for consumers, but it also raised a bunch of money because more people who were cheating on their taxes wouldn't be able to. Another obsession of the GOP is work requirements for 
people who uh, get help if they're poor or hungry. I mean, this one is a little wonky. So let's start with this. There are already work requirements for people 18 to 49. And most people who get Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, or SNAP, what used to be called food stamps, those benefits, uh, people are getting those benefits, are already working full-time jobs, and overwhelmingly, they have kids. This agreement makes the work requirement um, to cover older folks, age 50 to 54. Uh, These requirements, I have to tell you, the Republicans like the way they sound. You know, let's force people to find work before we give them anything to eat. But They've been studied a good deal, and long story short, the requirements do little to increase workforce participation, but the paperwork required and the online inter, you know, things you've got to do does serve to boot many people off the program who can't deal with the bureaucracy and who would otherwise be eligible for the program. And let's, you know, look, the bill does exempt some folks. I said it's a little wonky because it does exempt some folks who now get the, who now have the requirement of veterans, for example, the mentally unwell. So- Roughly the same number of people will probably wind up getting benefits before and after this thing is passed. But the idea of targeting this group of people is just shameful. I mean, let's keep in mind, these are people who are on average getting $6 a day, $2 a meal. And this was a program that when it was bolstered and and pumped up during COVID, went further to reduce poverty in our country than any program in 50 years. And finally, in a bit of wonderfully infuriating fine print in the bill is a permit for the Mountain Valley Pipeline a natural gas pipeline to carry gas 300 miles through 1,000 miles of streams and wetlands from West Virginia to Virginia. Lovely. I'm sure that will go a long way towards balancing our budget. Again, what does the other side get? Although that pipeline, I should say, one Democratic senator, Joe Manchin, did want that. So in this negotiation, what did the other side get? I mean, in negotiations, aren't there, as I said at the beginning, aren't there two sides who both get a little of what they want and walk away maybe a little disappointed because they didn't get everything? Well, Democrats and the country got only one thing here. The Republicans agreed to follow the Constitution and pay our bills. And we'll be right back with Listener Mail. So welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. This is traditionally a time we do something called listener mail, and the conceit when we started this podcast was we were going to use it as a chance to hear from folks. You know, when you're doing a radio show, they can just call in. This was a chance to send me an email at wienerwabc at gmail.com or the Facebook page, Wiener, uh, Anthony D. Wiener or Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-A-N-E-R on Twitter. But it quickly... Well, it along the way evolved to be something a little bit different. It became an opportunity for me to clap back or talk back to politicians, civic leaders, sometimes even radio hosts on this station who say things or ask things that I think need a response. So as of today, we're going to rebrand Listener Mail and we're going to call it... I've been toying with this. Ask Anthony. That's what this segment is going to be called now. And we're going to use this opportunity, if it's going to be from you, the listener, to send in a question. That's great. But we're also going to use this as a chance to let me field some of the questions that are out there in the ether or out there in the public domain that I think demand an answer. And our first listener question I don't know if he listens. Our first Ask Anthony segment comes from a familiar face and a familiar voice that you're going to be hearing a lot about in the year to come. Is right now the time for Ron DeSantis to run for president? Because everyone knows if I'm the nominee, I will beat Biden uh, and I will serve two terms and I will be able to uh, destroy leftism in this country and leave woke ideology on the dustbin of history. So that was, as you know, Ron DeSantis. That was him being questioned on Fox News. Cut off the question a little bit. 
it started out with, you know, why not just wait for Donald Trump to be done and you go ahead and run? And this is the formulation of a question he's going to get a lot. And I found a few things interesting about the question, about the answer, and then obviously one thing that was infuriating that jumped out at you. First, he starts out with the with the, I guess, the basic pitch that he has, that he is the person that can beat Joe Biden. And he's not wrong about that. All of the all of the polling does show that he is a stronger general election candidate. And I think the Democrats are correct to be concerned about him prevailing. And he assumes that beating Biden is as animating a place to be on the right as it is stopping Trump is on the left. So he starts out with that. You know, everyone knows but if I'm the nominee, I will beat Biden. Biden. That's how he starts. And then he says something interesting that you might have missed. He says, and I will serve two terms. Now, what's interesting and relevant about that is it's something that I think you're going to find him saying more and more. And that is this idea that, that if you vote for Trump, you only get a four-year commitment here. If you vote for me, you might get eight years. Again, it's a little nuancy, and I don't know if you even picked it up in the answer, but I do think it's something he is going to start stressing more and more. But obviously, the reason I'm playing this cut and the reason that I wanted to field this question is the part where he follows up and says, I will beat Biden, I will serve two terms, and I will be able to destroy leftism in this country and leave the woke ideology on the dustbin of history. Now, the woke ideology, I've done a whole episode about that. I don't have it at my fingertips when it was a couple of months ago. Just how wokeness seems to cut two different ways. No one seems to be able to define it. And I don't know how effective it is on the kind of voters that you're really talking to in a presidential election. But this notion of destroying leftism really left me aghast. Now, I get it. I get that Ron DeSantis has to win a primary where you cannot be too far to the right for this uh, uh, voting population. And I get that he needs to show that he is as right as the next guy. But this whole idea of destroying leftism, I mean, when you look at polls, roughly the same number of people, about 20 to 25% identify as liberal as identify as conservative. And that's a lot of people. And there is a concern, particularly in the post-January 8th period, particularly in the era of any, anything goes on Twitter and in social media and a rise of anti-Semitism. And I don't, you know, I don't use this term lightly, that, you know, there are concerns about language lapsing into out-and-out fascism. Remember, part of fascism is this notion of crushing dissent. It was never seen as acceptable until very recently, this idea of squashing the other side that you disagree with. I don't think that that's what people want in a president. And I think it's a very dangerous way to start a campaign. Because if you start from there, if that's your starting point, that I, a candidate for a major party and a front runner to boot with millions of dollars at my disposal being taken very seriously, if the first week you're being asked what your priorities are, they're beat Biden, which is great, but then I want to destroy leftism and in this country and leave the woke ideology on the dustbin of history, destroying leftism hardly sounds like the constitutional job of a president. And it hardly seems like the kind of thing that should be very appealing to most mainstream voters. Now, does it appeal to a certain type of Republican voter? A certain, I would argue, dangerous type of Republican voter? Are there people who would say maybe on conservative radio, we've got to squash leftism? Um, perhaps. But for a presidential candidate to be making that basically 
one of the three punch points of his announcement week of interviews is really disturbing. Now, you might say to me, and I was thinking about this as well, have we become so inured to the things that Donald Trump says that we kind of like, has the the deviation been defined so far down that maybe this isn't that big a deal when you consider the idea of identifying the people who marched at Charlottesville as, as you know, people, good people on both sides and the January 6th rioters were people with love in their hearts. And maybe we've become a little bit um, immune to this, but I still found it pretty outrageous. So if you would like, as I said, to reach out and be part of Listener Mail and give me some feedback on this episode or any other episode, I would encourage you to do it. Again, the ways to do it are you can like and subscribe in many in any podcast venue. You give it a thumbs up. Sometimes they let you rate it. I won't tell you to give it five stars, but it does help other people find the show. You can also reach out to me directly at wienerwabc at gmail.com, at Rep Wiener, um, and on Twitter, and Anthony D. Wiener is our page on uh, Facebook. It's been great to have you along. It's been great to have all of your support um, through these uh, these episodes. Um, we're getting a, a, a lot of pickup. We're getting a lot of people who are downloading, and that's very exciting to me. And also, don't forget to tune in on Saturdays at 2 o'clock for... Um, the middle, and then three o'clock to four o'clock on Saturday, Left versus Right, a show I do with Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC Radio or WABCRadio.com, or you can always get that too as a podcast. Thanks for being with us. This concludes The Middle Unplugged. <laughs>